new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in again. Uh, we always love uh, having you here with us and being able to listen to people's stories of their life and their grief and how unique that truly is. And this is this episode isn't going to disappoint because this is a, a very interesting uh, gentleman who uh, isn't even from North America. So we'll talk about that as we move forward. Today, uh, you have me, Joshua Black, the one doing the Grief Dreams research, going solo today. Uh, Sean and Jade couldn't be here, so it's just me. Today, we have Gary Andrews, who is an illustrator and animator. Uh, he used to work for Disney. He has projects on Private Eye, Fireman Sam, and Doodle a Day. I believe he is an actor, too, according to his Instagram posts <laughs> and the way he dresses up. Um, also, his wife, Joy, uh, died of sepsis in 2017. And since then, he has received a ton of news coverage over the way he deals with his loss. And there's a bunch of news articles out there. If you just Google his name, they'll all pop up. And so I, I actually found Gary just randomly through someone else's Facebook post. They shared and I read this, this article and all about the loss and it completely captivated me. And I was drawn in ever since. So I've been following his Instagram and because of that, for some reason, I feel like I know him. <laughs> and so I don't know. So I'm really excited now to actually get to talk to someone that I feel like I already know. So Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. And so where are you from? I'm from the UK. I'm from south of England. I live about uh, 30 miles south of London, between London and the south coast, a place called Brighton. I live in a place called Hawley, which is next to Gatwick Airport. Anyone hmm. who's traveled to the UK might know that. That's interesting. I love the accent, by the way. Uh, thank you. Well, you see, I don't think I have an accent. You're the one with the accent in this conversation, obviously. <laughs> I guess so, right? <laughs> and so I'm really curious. So how did you become an illustrator and animator? Was that something that was really like pushed on you? Like, was your parents really supportive of that? Or was it something that you just developed along the way? It was kind of inevitable, I think. I, I mean, <clears throat> according to my parents, I... I drew ever since I could hold a pencil when I was a very, very young child. I mean, I, I just drew from the day one. And my parents very quickly saw that I had a, an attitude for it. So they encouraged it. I mean, they weren't artists themselves. Well, my dad could copy things quite well, but he, was a, he worked in the stock exchange and my mum worked in a school kitchen. And, the, you know, they weren't artists, but they could see that I drew and it came naturally to me. So they encouraged it. And uh, right through school, I was always the one that did the drawings for things, you know, uh, so it was natural uh, evolution, really, that I go to art college, which I did. Mm. And then when I graduated back in the dark ages of 1983, uh, I sort of did a couple of illustration jobs. And then I kind of fell into animation. I um, I thought I'd get a bit of character design work done. And I went around a few of the London studios and I picked up a couple of little jobs. And then one of the studios said, oh, look, we've got a guy going, away, going to go to hospital for a month. Why don't you come and sit in his seat and sort of, you know, see how you do? And I said, oh, that'll be interesting. I made a couple of animated films at college. Um, uh, so I sat in this guy's seat for what was technically going to be a month. And then three and a half years later, I left. And I kind of learned on the job, really. So it, I kind of fell into the animation. But but it was always a foregone conclusion that I'd be doing something with drawing, really. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm glad to hear your parents supported you in that. Did you ever get any slack from like friends when you decided to go to art college? 
not really. I mean, I was at a sort of a British boarding school, you know, that sort of typical kind of, you can imagine Tom Brown school days or if or something like that. So it was kind of like a very typical uh, British boarding school thing. So most of my contemporaries either went into the banking or the army, you know, it was, it was that sort of a place. <laughs> but, but, but they kind of knew because I was always drawing there as well. And again, it was one of those things that, that yeah, I wasn't going to go down the path that a lot of them were. So no one was really surprised when I went to art college. Uh, yeah it just seemed like the right fit for me that's cool well that's amazing because i like as a kid i was always into art but i never fell into it i'm in doing psychology now and <laughs> studying dreams but in a different world i guess <laughs> it might be like you um but yeah it's so it's so cool and what do you like about art so much or drawing i do, i like the ability to be able to capture a moment in time whether whether it's something you've seen or something you've imagined and with a with a very few marks on a bit of paper you can create a moment. And look, my, my work is, is, I've often been told over the years that what there is in mind is a lot of movement, even though there's a static image. You feel like you're just seeing a moment, that something's happened, something's about to happen, but you've captured that fleeting moment. And, and I love that feeling that you can just, it's like lightning in a bottle, you just capture a moment, snap, it's there. Uh, I think that's the thing I, I really enjoy. And I like creating characters as well, you know, either inventing characters or or just the way you can have a, a, a recurring character, but give it life by the way you do expression and, and you know, pose and stuff like that. So, yes, it's those, it's those captured moments that I really love. Wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And I can see that in your drawings, too, um, that, you're, that you've been doing. It's, yeah. uh, there's, you're right. There's motion. There's a lot of uh, emotion in there, too. And there's, yeah, these new characters that uh, you're, you're coming up with. Uh, <laughs> And so I'm curious, so how did you enjoy meat? Um, was it because of the drawing? Like, did you doodle something for her and she fell in love with you? Is that how it went? <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? No, <laughs> it, was, um, it was actually, we, we met at a local amateur dramatic company. Um, I, I had fallen into Amdram as a, as a hobby and I joined the theater um, in this little town uh, and um, she was there and she was, she was, um, She's 15 years younger than me, Joy was. So when I first met her, she was only 15. And um, she was just this talented kid at the theatre. I was watching a show one day and she did this this scene in the show. I turned to the person next to me and I said, wow, that girl's good. She's a really good actress. And um, I got to know her as a, as a, as a just as a, a youngster at the theatre, which was, which was, you know, fine. And if someone had told me at that point that several years later we'd be married and having children, I'd have gone, what? Don't be silly. But... Um, <laughs> She went off to university and I sort of got on with my life, various kind of disasters. And then um, she came back from university and then suddenly she was a grown up. And um, I cast her in a play, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. I cast her as Helena in the Midsummer Night's Dream that I was directing. She was six foot, so she was perfect as, as Helena, the painted maypole. And um, we became best friends. I mean, we just very quickly realized that we had loads in common and we and we, we realized over the course of this that we weren't just best friends we were actually soulmates and there was something mm -hmm. deeper going on and suddenly one day we weren't friends anymore we were completely in love and it just sort of happened so suddenly and uh, from that moment we just knew that we wanted to spend most of our lives together and we did wow that's beautiful it's a beautiful story it was fantastic too. and it yeah. was it was so unexpected because i mean you know she was she was that much younger, that much taller, that much more beautiful than me. And it was just like, you know, wow, well, she won't be interested. I'm glad I've got her as a friend. <laughs> and then when the moment happened, you know, and it was just like we looked at each other's eyes one day and suddenly it was like we 
we described it later as if we fell into each other's soul. It was just something that we had a shared moment when we looked at each other and suddenly this it was a physical sensation and we realised oh. that it was it had gone beyond a friendship. And that was one of those moments we just go, did that just happen? That's that's incredible. <laughs> um, I was very lucky, very lucky guy. Wow, yeah, because anytime you go you go after your friend, there's that risk that you may not be friends anymore. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, the friendship. <laughs> I mean, the thing, I think the thing that differentiated this was neither of us was looking for it. We, I didn't, mm. didn't make a play for her. And she didn't, you know, we were just friends. And, and it was a total, it was one of those moments where we just stared at each other's eyes while we were talking. Mm. And both of us at the same moment were like, did that just happen? It was, it was literally, oh. when we went public after we decided, after we realized we were a couple, <laughs> Um, we went public with all our friends and they were like, yeah, didn't you realize <laughs> we were the last ones oh. to know that we were in love? You know, it was, it was really funny. That's interesting. It's like the love built before you guys even knew. And then it's yeah. like, it clicked. You wow. What else could see that we were, but, but, um, <laughs> we just didn't realize. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. It's a nice story. It's a, such a great story of how you, how you fell in love and what love is. Like, it's not, yeah. it's beyond label, right? Like you're saying there's something else that happened there. It wasn't yeah. that you said, you know, like it wasn't that I said, we're together, I love you. No, it's like a genuine love that just transpired and then it connected you. It was extraordinary and, 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 and it continued. I mean, I think the thing is, that's the thing that I'm very grateful for. You know, I mean, she's gone now um, and I can't bring her back, but we had 19 years together mm. during the course of which that it never went away. I loved her as much the day she died as I did the day that we fell in love. It was quite, we were very, very lucky. Wow. Wow. And so if I ask you to sort of, you know, if you think of a joy in your, in your mind, what memory like pops up? What's the first memory that pops up about her? Uh, her laugh mm. uh, and her smile. She had a very ready smile. She had the sort of smile that would light up a room. Uh, and she had the sort of laugh that if she was in the room and she laughed, everybody knew. Not because it was like someone sort of, you know, someone, someone electrocuting a horse or something, but <laughs> because she just had the most infectious hearty genuine laugh that you'd ever you'd ever hear and every all our friends who talk about her now now she's gone they all sort of say oh we missed that laugh we missed that smile you know it, it, she was just warm and kind and i think so whenever i think of her although she was incredibly beautiful and, and all that i just think of laughter mm. she reminds me of have you ever seen inside out uh yes yeah so the character joy oh <laughs> i mean yeah, I mean, when that came out, I mean, we saw that and it was like, yep, there you go. That's it. <laughs> I mean, physically, uh, I know um, when, when she was younger, certainly, she was very much like Jennifer Connelly in Labyrinth. You know, she had that sort of a look, mm. uh, that sort of tall with the long dark hair and that, those sort of, you know, that, that was quite cool. <laughs> so very um, That's amazing. Yeah, she's very much the kind of personality that, you know, she was one of the most appropriately named people that you could ever meet, you know. Do you like your name? Is that is is Gary a good name for you, or would you want? I like... <laughs> loathe my name. Um, I, I, I'm really. I just. I, I think. What were my parents thinking? But they. I think I was named after Gary Cooper. Uh, I think they were. I think they liked him in the movies and stuff. And uh, I kind of. I, I get it. But you know, there's associations with the word Gary in in the UK, which I'm, I'm not particularly keen on. <laughs> Um, but I've I've learned I've learned to sort of make my peace with it, really. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So was it fun naming your children? Like was that what was that process like for you guys? That was interesting. I mean my my parents 
had loads of names each. My, my, my father was William Christopher George. My mother was Barbara Dorothy Louisa Ellen. So when I was born, they said, you're going to be Gary. And that's it. No middle name, nothing. We've got enough between us. So it was kind of like, right. Um, and then when the kids were born, we thought, well, we want to give them, I do want them to have more names because I think it's nice to have middle names and stuff because they can stand for other things that you want to sort of get over. And we always, if we say it's a girl, we love flower names. Uh, so that's why our daughter is Lily. We were also, um, we, we love Lord of the Rings, we're big Tolkien fans. And um, my wife's middle name was Philippa, which is a sort of Greek-based name. She's not Greek, but it's just, a, it, and it means sort of lover of horses. It comes from, the, you know, uh, Philippus and stuff. So we decided, well, let's call our, middle, our daughter's middle name Eowyn, which is hmm. the character in Lord of the Rings, but it's also from the Anglo-Saxon, and it means the same as Philippa. So she's Lily Eowyn, and then her third name is Rhiannon, which is from the, um, from the Mabinogion in Welsh mythology who was also a horse uh, goddess, you know, she rode a horse, she was a goddess who rode a horse, and I'm partly Welsh, so she's Lily Eowyn Rhiannon, so there's meanings in all that. Oh, cool. And then uh, Ben, we just wanted a nice simple name, so we thought, well, Ben is a nice name, we like that, kind of means son of, and it, it also has association with bears, which was quite cute. Uh, and, he, and then William, his second name is William, which is partly after my dad and partly after Shakespeare, because uh, mm. we're huge Shakespeare fans, and then his, his third name is Byron, because uh, it's a mixture of um, the Lord Byron thing, just because it's kind of crazy. Uh, but also there's a character in a play called Jerusalem called um, Johnny Rooster Byron, which is a, an amazing character. And I got to play that um, after he was born, but it was something that really struck us. So he's Ben William Byron. <laughs> wow, there's so much uh, history uh, in those names. And, and what's a lot about are. it when we yeah. named them. We didn't just sort of pick it out of a hat. You know, we, we, we sat down and worked it out. That's cool. That's amazing. I don't think you know children really understand the work that comes into naming, you know, naming themselves, right? No, <laughs> Take no, it for no. granted. <laughs> they do know the the history of their names. They do understand why they're called what they're called. So that's quite good. That's cool. So is, does Lily like Lord of the Rings, or has she watched it yet? Yeah, they've both seen uh, all the Hobbit films and Lord of the Rings, and I've read them The Hobbit as well and stuff like that. And yeah, they like them. They think they're fun. Um, ben liked it when the goblins got their heads cut off and stuff like that, obviously. Um, Lily, Lily loved her namesake. She just thought having that cool warrior was just amazing. I mean, she loved that kind of, you know, cool, cool girl kind of thing. So, yeah, they, they enjoyed them. That's, sweet. That's very sweet. Wow. And so I want to actually move on now to talk about Joy and what happened to her. So sure. if you could just describe... Um, how she died and like where were you in that process yeah sure well um we had just been away for a weekend to glastonbury um we'd, we'd made a movie um about sort of british folklore and stuff we were selling the dvds at a fairy festival in glastonbury of all things and um had just a fantastic family weekend the kids came down with us i spent most of the weekend on the stall um lily and Ben went with Joy up to the sort of Glastonbury tour and, to the, and, and you know, they had a fantastic sort of weekend just having a great time there. And then on the Monday, um, we, she drove me to Heathrow because I had to fly out to Vancouver on, with business on Fireman Sam because I was directing that and um, I needed to go out to Vancouver because that's where the animation was being done. So she drove me to Heathrow. Um, I waved goodbye as I went through the airport. And I said, you know, I'll see you next Monday. And um, off I went. So on Tuesday, I FaceTimed her and said, how are you doing? And she said, oh, I've got flu. And I was like, ugh, every time, every time I go away, she gets poorly, you know. And it's like, oh, well, listen, you, you let me sit up and you, you rest yourself and just take care. And, you know, she's like, yeah, well, yeah. And then on the Wednesday, I called again. She's like, no, I'm still no better. I'm still fluy. Mum's got the kids today so that I can have a proper rest. I'm just sitting on the sofa. 
with the dog watching movies I went good right you know just you know really look after yourself um I love you uh which has turned out to be the last thing I ever said to her and then on the Thursday I, I texted because I always just text first said you okay to FaceTime and she sent a text back saying no call Lily so I called Lily on her phone that, that she had and I said um is everything all right she said oh mummy's not really very well um auntie marie is here and they've called the doctor and i was like oh dear okay um well you know give her my love and let me know how it goes sort of thing and i was like and i started to think oh gosh you know what's going to happen now poor 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 mummy and then i went out to lunch and i got a phone call when i was at lunch from joy's sister saying um listen is there any way you can get an earlier flight back because joy's going into hospital um they don't think she's very well uh, so you might need to come home. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I started making arrangements to try and get an earlier, get home that night, you know, as soon as I could. Obviously, I thought I'd have to get home, look after the kids because she'd be in hospital or something. Uh, then I got another phone call a couple of hours later saying, how are you doing with that flight? Because it looks quite bad. And um, I was like, okay. Um, I didn't really ask what quite bad meant because I could sense that, that her sister was quite... Um, concerned i didn't want to push it uh so i was like yeah i've got the flight so i got the red eye you know the flight left at like 11 o'clock at night or something and i landed at heathrow about just after midday on the friday uh ready to get my coach back home and joy's mum and eldest brother were there to meet me at the airport and i was like oh that's nice and slightly odd and they basically took me to the car park where the car was and they sat me down and said basically told me that she died at 3.15 that morning. Um, she got into hospital and suddenly everything started going wrong and they had to put her under to try and do a bit of exploratory to see what was going on because nobody could work out what was happening. And while she was under the anaesthetic, there was multiple organ failure and, and they lost her 3.15 in the morning. And it wasn't until the post-mortem that we discovered it was sepsis. I mean, the, 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 the emergency unit were in shock about the whole weekend. I heard people I know who work at the hospital um, speaking to me and saying that on the Monday they still had people crying in there that worked there because they didn't know what happened. Wow. So you actually missed seeing her the one last yeah. time. Wow. Yeah. And what was yeah, that well, like? What was that like coming off and getting told that? Like, did you even um, believe it? Like... It, it was incredibly surreal. It was, you, you get told it and you go, uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then the words sort of sink in and then it's literally like you've been punched in the stomach and um, you make noises you've never thought you'd ever make in your life. Um, it was, you know, the the bottom had got ripped out of my world in, in, in one fell swoop, in, in a moment, you know, and it was extraordinary. And you just go, and then very quickly, my brain is going, right, I need to tell people, I need to sort things out. I need to, you know, and I, I was in the car, it took an hour to drive from Heathrow to my house and I was, I was texting from the car, letting people who needed to know, know, you know. Um, uh, and there was a weird calmness, although, you know, the tears come and then they went. And then there's a strange kind of, right, we need to cope with some stuff here and, and do it. And of course, they'd managed to keep it from the kids. So I got home and I got to tell the children, which is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. Um, but they'd managed to keep it from them. They'd taken them out to sort of go, you know, climbing at the local sports center and they were playing in the park across from my house when I got home and they were like, daddy. And they 
came to see me and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I put my bags down. I've got some things for you from Vancouver, but can we just go out in the garden first, kids? I wanted to be outside when I told them because we were got huge nature lovers and I, I just wanted to be amongst sort of greenery. And so I took them out in the garden and I sat down and I said, okay, so very quickly I'd made a decision in my head that I was never going to pussyfoot around the subject, that I wanted to always be completely open and honest and straight with them and, and um, tell them how it is. So I... I said, okay, so you know, mummy got taken to hospital yesterday. Um, well, she was very, very poorly, and the doctors and the nurses all worked really hard all the way through the night. Um, but I'm afraid that she was too poorly, and there was nothing they could do, and she died. And those are the words that I used. You know, you could What's see poly? for a second. That What's poorly mean? Poor, poorly. I've never heard poorly. of it. Uh, poorly. <laughs> it, it, it means not well. Um, oh, okay, okay. P-O-O-R-L-Y, yes, we say it very poorly. Um, it just means, yeah, it just means not well, really. It's like okay. when a kid's not feeling well, they say, are you feeling poorly? You know. <laughs> That's uh, so interesting. I'm learning something new, interesting. There you go, That's, I'm teaching you yeah. English. You are? Yeah. <laughs> Real English, yeah. <laughs> um, so I could see this look on their faces that was like this moment of like, she died. And I remember Lily saying to her, she died. And I was like, yeah. And then... Sorry, sometimes when I tell this story, it does affect me a bit. Um, and then, uh, again, they made noises I never thought I'd hear come out of a child's throat. You know, it was like wounded animals. It was quite, oh, I mean, I, I go goosebumps now just thinking about it. It was awful. And we held each other tight for a bit. And um, and then, then this, this incredible thing happens with children because they live in the present and they cried and they cried and they cried and they cried for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then the tears stop. And then literally like 10 minutes later, they're saying, what's a tea? <laughs> <laughs> and you go, yeah, that's a good point. You've got to feed you, haven't I? You know, and, and you suddenly you've got this reality that, you know, mummy's gone, your life has changed, but also life's got to go on. And, um, it was one of the incredible things that really grounded the whole experience of me having these two. I mean, they were seven and 10 at the time. My son was seven. My daughter was 10. So it, it, they were very young and um, they, you know, they needed me and they needed me to be strong. And, and I made them, well, I, I got a takeaway that night. What am I talking about? I didn't make them tea. I got a takeaway. And then they slept with me. Um, I think I wanted them there as much as they wanted to be as well. And they slept in with me for a few nights. Uh, and then they had to start taking it in turns to sleep with me because one's a duvet thief and one's a wriggler, so I wasn't getting much sleep. And how? And just with the the children itself, like, is there anything that surprised you, like, so far in their journey on how they're dealing with grief? I think what uh, the the biggest surprise I think for me was how quickly they accepted it. But that's because that thing about children living in the present, and I think because they were so young at the time as well. I think if they'd been two years older, it may have hit harder. But it was just at the right age with them both that they, 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 you know, it devastated them. But they very quickly come to terms with this is their new normality. This is their new present. They had a mummy, and then she died, and they still love her, but she's not there, and they, they, they live in that present, and. Um, I, I think that the strength they had in that is something that I've found I've found extraordinary. And we've we've I've made a point and, and we do it. We talk about her all the time. We talk about her in the past tense, but in a positive way. You know, our oh, mummy would have loved that, wouldn't she? Or oh yeah, before mummy died, we used to do this, that, and the other. And and yeah, when mummy was alive, and 
you know, I can just imagine mummy laughing at that, can't you, daddy? Yeah. So we do. She's very much part of our lives still, even though there's acknowledgement in the fact that she's gone in the way we speak about her. Mm. And I think that's helped them. We haven't pushed the subject to one side or, or, or sort of tiptoed around it. Do you, th- um, do you think that they've helped you in a way by being there? Oh, yeah. they have, they've been a huge source of strength to me. Um, mm. Just, I mean, having to, having to talk to them about it helps me talk about it. Comforting them when they need it has helped me. And they've comforted me. Sometimes, well, I remember in the early days when I was having, you know, I was crying every night on the sofa, sitting there crying. And sometimes they'd, come, they'd just come and sit beside me and hold my hand while I had a little cry, you know. And, and, then, and then once I'd finished, they'd, they'd let me know what it was they wanted or whatever. And in fact, even as recently as I think about two or three months ago, uh, I went to visit her tree. We have a tree in a local park where some of her ashes are buried beneath a tree that we had planted. And um, I went to visit the tree and I just got very emotional that day. And I, I sat by the tree and I started crying and they were playing nearby. And I think Ben ran over to ask me something and he could see me crying. And then instead of instead of saying anything, he just sat down beside me and leaned against me. And then mm-hmm. Lily saw what was happening. She came over and they both just sat and leaned on me until I stopped crying. And then it was like, I'm fine now, guys. Okay, what is it you want? And then mm-hmm. the little things like that have been extraordinary. Um, wow. And then I've been there for them. If they've had a moment where they're, you know, they're sort of having one of those nights where they can't stop thinking about her and the tears are coming, then we talk about her and we talk about life and death and stuff. And it's, they've had to grow up a bit quicker, um, but it's, it's made them strong, I think, emotionally. Well, it definitely increased the bond I think you guys have too. But it's amazing. Yeah. I want to say it's amazing how you're showing emotion in front of your children. Because a lot of people may talk about it, but they'll suppress their emotions in yeah, front of their I, children. Um, a lot of people would be sort of stoical in front of their children or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think it's important they see that adults can cry too, that you've got emotion. And if I show emotion, it gives them permission to have emotion. Um, and And... and Tears, laughter, all of those things are as important as each other. And, and so I've been, I haven't held back. If I've needed to cry, I've cried. If I've, if I've you know, found something funny, I'll find it funny. And, and, and I think hopefully it just keeps them sort of grounded and rounded. <laughs> well, like when you're hearing that, I'm like, I just have so much love for like, like children and how they've like sort of, sort of been there for you. I'm like, man, you have the best kids. I'm like, are- yeah, I'm like I don't know, but kid, like, do they still do they ever push you? Like, have they have they oh, changed? Oh yeah. Oh, they still push you. <laughs> still kids, and they still take. You know, they still um push you to the edge, and you and you're like, hey, stop it. The other day, Ben did <laughs> he did a thing. I was I was spreading some um some Nutella on his bagel or whatever. You know, yeah. he said put lots on there, and I said I'm putting lots on. He said no, mummy would have put more than that. I went no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't do that one, mate don't you dare play that card and he was he was like sorry (laughs) (laughs) let's not go down that route mate yeah Uh, yeah yeah, they do sort of you know they do they drive me nuts i mean i I love them to pieces i think but yeah they're kids and they'll argue Mm. and they'll do all the things that kids do but they do know when to stop i mean when 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 daddy's big voice comes out you know they they realize they've gone far enough and um yeah they want to that's good. And it's good. It's, it's nice to know that, like, but they have that. And there's something within them that feels for you, right? And really cares for you. And and yeah. I, I love that aspect of it because a lot of times we don't hear that enough on how children just have this open heart. 
and I can help parents. Uh, I said to them right at the beginning when, when Joy died, I said, okay, listen, guys, things are going to have to change slightly around here. You know, it was mummy and daddy and you guys. Now yeah. it's us three. We've got to be a team. We need to work together. I'm still daddy. You start to do what I say, but we are, we've got to be a team. You need to help me. And I'm, I'm going to get things wrong. You need to help. You need to tell me when I'm doing something wrong uh, and tell me what I need to do differently, you know, for you guys. And by the same token, please tell me when I do something right you know, and, um, and well, let's muddle through together. And, and we have, you know, and I mean, you know, Joy was an incredible cook, apart from anything else. She's not, she, she used to, she basically ran the household because we made a decision quite early on when the kids, when we were, she was pregnant, that because my job was a far bigger sort of income, uh, that she would basically go full time looking after the kids and running the house so that I would, I could work to my full potential and earn the money. And it just made sense in practical terms. So she did cooking. I'd barely cooked for years. <laughs> and suddenly I had to prepare meals for three people, you know, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I think I remember how to do this. And I, I found my cooking mojo again, you know, and I actually really quite enjoy it now. And, and I give them food and, and there's this great feeling when you put a plate in front of them and they eat it. And they go, oh, that's really nice. And I go, oh, thank goodness. I haven't poisoned them yet. <laughs> That's like, yeah, I can only imagine the changes that you have been through as a sort of a single parent now and trying to yeah, do, all, I mean, do it, both it, tasks. It is strange. And I sometimes feel guilty because I think there's nothing I'm doing that thousands and millions of people don't do all around the world every day. Mm. I mean, there are single parents for whatever yeah. reason everywhere and they do it. It's nothing special. You know, I'm looking after two children. What do you do? I'm lucky. I'm 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 healthy. I'm an affluent middle class white male. I'm you know I mean I've got a lot in my favour, and um, I I kind of uh, I I do appreciate that I haven't got it tough in that respect. What was difficult was you know at 56 years old to suddenly find yourself in that position was the unexpected thing, and. Um, you know, you didn't sign up for that. And, and and to suddenly be there was a real shock to the system. And you very quickly had to learn. And, you know, I very quickly learned a massive respect for all single parents and stay at home mums and dads and everything. You know, I mean, I had it anyway, you know, naturally, because I'm a, hopefully a decent person. But to suddenly be one of those people, you realize just what a tough job it is. Yeah, no, that's but good for you to be able to take that on. Um, and <laughs> You know, and there's other changes that, you know, just by looking at your feed, I, I've noticed because, you know, I lost my father. I've never lost a, a spouse. And so there's different things that you're doing that, you know, I never really had to think about too much. And the one thing was the wedding ring. And yes. yeah, like, how did you decide it was time to basically change that? I just passed the year. We'd, we'd gone through the, the anniversary. And funny enough, I was talking to a very, very dear friend of mine who had lost her husband and at a very very similar time and she for a long time couldn't hadn't taken hers off and couldn't even touch his and everything and then um she I was talking to her and she said yeah um I've 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 taken my ring and his ring back to the jewelers and and I'm getting them to combine them into one ring and I'm going to wear it on the other hand and uh, because you know he's gone and I'm not married and, and I thought you're absolutely right um it was suddenly like yeah I'm not married, you know, she's not here. And, but I love the ring and I love what it stands for. Um, so I swapped hands. I put it on the on the other hand. Uh, and, and it's, it's now symbolizes the memory of her as opposed to it being a wedding ring. It's, it's, it's the memory of who she was and what everything stood for. And, and I love wearing it still. And, and 
I had a ring on that finger anyway. I'm used to the weight. So I swapped that over onto the other hand. So on the hand that was the wedding ring is now the ring I used to wear on the other hand, which I actually wore at our wedding as well. So um, yeah, it just, it was a, it's a small gesture, but it was actually quite big. I suddenly thought, yeah, this says, okay, we're, we are moving on. Life is moving on. But at the same token, you're acknowledging and respecting the past along with it. Right. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine the difficulty of that. You know, it's like. It was, it was a, yeah. it was a sort of deep breath. Yeah. Do it. See how it feels. And it instantly felt right. I know I've got a lot of friends, you know, who I've spoken to a lot of people who have been widowed for longer and can't bring themselves to do it yet. whatever. And that's absolutely fine too. I think everybody does moves at their own pace, you know? Um, I've always been a forward thinking person. I've always been a very positive sort of glass half full type of person. And um, Joy was a very practical and level-headed woman as well. And she would absolutely be 100% behind the, that idea. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about the after when one of us has gone quite a lot. But in 90% of those conversations, obviously, it was me that we were talking about because being that much older and male, the odds were very much in favour that I would be the one who would have gone first. So we had a lot of conversations about the future, what would happen when one of us had gone. And it's just I'm having to sort of translate all those conversations, uh, swap the genders around and sort of think about what that means. But, um, yeah, I mean, we both were very level headed about that sort of thing and, and understood the reality that, you know, life does move on. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're still wearing it. And, and it seems kind of since you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's like the one ring that ruled them all, right? It is. It's got Elvish on it, in fact, but it's got oh, no. the um, it has the it has the love story version of it. It says in Elvish, it says one ring to show our love, one ring to bind us, one ring to seal our love forever to entwine us. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's yeah. so cool. And I want so, to yeah. ask I want to ask about her wedding ring because you but, she she was cremated, hers was, right? Hers was the same. I had the same poem on, but it had a little diamond in it. And um, when she was in the hospital, they took all the jewellery off, the, the wedding ring, the belly ring, the earrings, all that sort of thing, yeah. and gave it to me in a little bag. And well, her, her mum, they gave it to her mum because her mum was in the hospital. And um, uh, she gave it to me about a week later. And um, I've kept it in a little pot in in my room. So the, the, the stuff mm. that she was wearing at the time, I've, I've kept Especially, especially with a couple of the other little very special bits of jewellery that we had. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they, they're very much... And they're for the future. Maybe one day Lily might want them, you know, uh, who knows. Yeah. Um, I mean, she wears... Um, <laughs> she's she's just about... She, she's still in, in... In England, we have a thing called primary and secondary education. I don't know. I, I always get confused as to how it relates to the, to the US system, uh, what the years mean. But basically, it means she's going to go from... Well, she's 11 so uh, she's at the top end of her age band for the year next year she's going into big school basically that's what it means okay. yeah um, she's in her last year of little school if you like and um, we always said when she went to big school she could have her ears pierced you know in the mm. summer holidays before she went there but yeah. at the end of last summer just before she finished the previous year she got made head girl so she's head girl of her school um, which is an incredible thing to throw to achieve, especially with everything that's happened to her. So I said to her, right, listen, it's a special treat because of that. I'll let you have your ears pierced a year early, um, which she was just over the moon about. And now she has free reign 
of Mummy's jewellery box to wear whatever earrings she wants. And she does. She loves wearing Mummy's earrings and feeling close to her that wow. way. Wow. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, it's, it's amazing. I could talk to you for <laughs> forever about this stuff. Um, but we're going to move on to doodle a day. And this is sort of, you know, where I found you and where a lot of people are connecting with you. What sure. started all that? And how do you think it's a, it's affected your grief? Like, has it helped? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, uh, as, as you said at the beginning, I am an artist. It's what I do. It is the day job. And so I draw all day and stuff, you know, um, but because it's the 21st century, a lot of that is digital. I'm working on a screen. I have a screen that I can draw on with a digital pen and stuff. So although I'm making lines and drawing marks and they look like normal drawings, it's a screen. It feels different. And a couple of years back, uh, it was on my 55th birthday, actually. I, I, um, I thought I need to draw. I need to draw every day with a pen on paper. Um, and so I bought these pile of sketchbooks and pens and stuff. And I decided the easiest way to make sure I did something every day was to keep a diary and to do it as a visual diary, a doodle diary. Mm -hmm. So every night before I go to bed, I would do a drawing of something that happened that day, something that one of the kids said, something that I'd seen, something, whatever it was, a response to the day. So that became a habit and I would do that every night and I'd show it to Joy on the sofa before we went to bed, just have a laugh or whatever. And then we go to bed and I'd post it on Facebook and uh, Twitter um, for my friends. Uh, I had about, you know, 600 followers on Twitter and stuff at the time. And <clears throat> so I sort of put that out there just for a laugh. And then when she died, I, the day she died, I thought, I, I, it's doodle time. I've got to do my doodle. And it was like, I, I can't doodle. And I said, yes, I can doodle. I have to doodle. And I drew a broken heart the night she died because it was all I could think of. And then the next night came and it was like an image came into my head. I thought, yeah, I'm doodling. And, and I carried on and I drew something every night. And very quickly it, it became, because of the nature of what it was, the overriding feeling of that day. And quite early on, there was a lot of grief. But also very early on, funny things started happening through the grief. And I would note those down if they happened. And it became a thing, especially the grief-based ones, it was a way of getting that feeling out onto paper, was a way of exorcising a moment of that grief, or like a, like a, a pressure cooker letting off a bit of steam. You could let out a bit of that grief by drawing it. Hmm. And I found it very comforting to do that and discovered that my friends who were following it were really pleased they could follow my state of mind by what I was drawing and if they saw a couple of days of me being sad or down it I would get the phone calls you're right anything we can do can we come around you want some company and um and then and then if there was a funny one I'd get a lovely message and say oh that looks great oh good old Ben or whatever you know things would happen like that so yeah. when was it that people started to really like see the grief um and like you started people started following you yeah, it was um, it was interesting. I think it was so she died in the October, and it must have been around about February or March. I think it was February or March time. One of the the, the press got hold of it. One of the one of the sort of the papers and stuff saw it. Someone just who was a journalist happened to happened to stumble across it, and they asked if they could do an interview. Um, for one of the British newspapers, and um, I said yes if you if you pay some money to the UK Sepsis Trust, you know, to sort of I'm not you know, I'm not doing it for free, but if you want to give money to the charity, then I'll do it for you, sort of thing. So they so they did, which was actually very good. I managed to sort of negotiate about three times what they originally offered, because um, <laughs> they tried to take the 
squishy. So I did this interview and what I didn't realize was that when it came out in the newspaper, it was three pages. There was photo, two pages of pictures of the drawings and the massive great full page for the interview. And they put it on their on their website as well. And it just instantly went nuts. I mean, my phone had notifications switched on if people followed me <laughs> and I'd get a ping every two or three days, you know literally the, the phone the battery was running down the phone was going ping 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 and i switched the notifications off and looked at twitter and the numbers were going around like a counter it was absurd and i went from 600 to about uh, 16,000 in a couple of days uh, and my head started spinning a bit about that and then it sort of slowed up a bit and then every now and then there'd be a little burst of a few more when when either someone who is a sort of celebrity or or another thing came out online where someone had picked up the story and re reposted it through it like board panda did it and various sort of play people like that picked up the story and and you know, reposted it online and, and the numbers kept going up and uh, yeah and it's and i started realizing gosh there's a lot. and then people would start messaging me and saying this is really helping us we're um you know, my my husband, my wife died recently, and I've been finding it difficult to express myself. And your drawings of say just what I'm feeling, and or people saying, "Oh, my my brother's wife died, and he's not he's not spoken about it for a year." And I showed him your feed, and now he's talking about it finally. And all these sort of things started coming up, and I was going, "Wow, this is touching some sort of a chord." And then and then I had to say to myself, "Okay, don't start playing to the crowd. Just keep doing what you do. Just draw from the heart." Because yeah. that's what people are responding to. Um, the one concession I made at that point was I stopped doing anything political. Um, mm. I realised that there was a certain responsibility to the fact that I would, I'd gone quite public. And the people that were following me were coming from all walks of life, all creeds, all colours, all political following. I, could, I saw there wasn't a pattern. They were just people. And I thought, well, if I start, if I carry on doing anything political in here, which I used to do the odd political one or whatever, I'm going to alienate people. Um, and I don't want to do that. And it's the humanity that people are responding to. So I, the only concession I made to becoming more well known, if you like, was to just quit the political. Uh, I didn't think there was there was other things were more important at that point in my life anyway. You know, just the, the grief thing and the humanity thing. Suddenly that became the more important thing. So um, I just carried on and, and the numbers sort of plateaued at around about 30,000, I suppose, at that point. And then. I was asked to go on a program called The One Show, which is on the BBC a few weeks ago. Um, they actually spoke to me a couple of months before and asked if I'd like to come on. And they commissioned me to make an animated film based on the doodles, because mm. they knew I was an animator. So I made a two minute animation, which told the first minute was our story up to, from meeting up to the point where she died. And the second minute, the second half of the film was taking sort of key doodles and animating through them to where I am at this point in time. And I found a piece of music that Joy had written and, and performed and I animated it to that. And we showed it and I went, I went on the program. It was live interview program. And I went on that a couple of weeks back to, when was it? It was about three or four weeks ago, I think now. And I did this interview, which again, just went, absolutely crazy i mean i walked into the building with thirty thousand followers when i got on the bus to go back to the station about an hour after i'd finished the show i'd already got forty thousand. Wow. um uh and it, i've now got 51 nearly fifty-two thousand followers i think on on twitter and the the, the number is important to me because that is fifty-two thousand more people who are hearing about sepsis that wouldn't have heard about it before necessarily because although i 
talk about the grief and I talk about the fun with the children and, and people respond to that and that seems to be helping people. The other thing I do every sort of three or four weeks is I, I retweet the signs of sepsis and say, this is why I do these doodles. These doodles wouldn't be happening if my wife hadn't died. This is why she died. Look for these signs. Don't be in my place, you know. And so the more people that are following, the, the bigger that message gets out as well. Yeah, I think it's amazing just how you're grieving because it's like you, you think it's normal, like what you're doing in, in a weird way, you know. But it is to me, it is, I guess it is to me because I'm, 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 ugh, I hate saying these words, but because I'm an artist, that just sounds ridiculous. It sounds such a sum up myself, but you know, I draw stuff. That's what I do. <laughs> and it's the way I express myself, you like. So for me, it seems natural to express my grief through drawing and to understand my grief by drawing it. It's made me understand it better. And, um, and because I'm, uh, I don't know, a bit of the, the acting and the sort of media background and stuff with me or whatever. I'm vaguely articulate as well, which means that I'm able to express my feelings when people ask me about it. Mm. Which means that I, I'm 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 becoming a bit of a sort of grief spokesperson in, in a way, which I don't mind because I think as as a society we need to speak about grief more, because the one inevitability in this life when you're born is that you're going to die, and you're gonna you're going to have grief in your life, and if you're not ready to accept it or if it's hidden and swept under the carpet. You're going to struggle. And if you can talk about it with people and demystify it, de-demonize it, it's just better. So I'm, I'm quite happy to find myself in this position. I've had this tragedy happen. I want to turn that into something positive. So rather than just go, poor me, poor me, and disappear into myself, I'm saying, no, right, let's use this negative and, and let's try and find some positives. Yeah, because you're right. In our culture, we don't really talk about it. And so people look to others to try to figure out how do you grieve and what's appropriate. And there's the one thing I love about your drawings is the honesty. It's like there's times where you're just like in deep sorrow. Other times you're joking around. But that is what grief's about is you're allowed to have all these emotions all at once. Completely. And um, I was again, there's the various analogies you can make. And there was a really good one I heard the other day, which I found really, really resonated was it's like it's like having a cut. It's like when you cut yourself, you can do a paper cut on your hand, say, and it's like, yow, really hurts when you first do it. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And then it really stings for a bit. And then it kind of goes away because you've got to do other things with your hand or whatever, and, and the pain goes away. And then a little bit later, this kind of throbbing pain comes back. It's not that intense pain anymore, but you're really aware of it. <laughs> and grief is, this sort of grief, this sort of, certainly what I've had, it's very much like that. The initial sharp, incredible pain the fact that it's all consuming for a bit and then you've got to get on with practicalities and it kind of goes away. That's right. <laughs> all right. So the one thing I said that I, love about, uh, I loved was your honesty. I'm really curious as you think of ideas to go on the pages, is there things that come up and you're like, no, I can't do that. I can't write that or doodle that thing um, because um, there's so many people now? I think, no, I'm, I'm quite happy to put down pretty much anything that, I do, or that happens with me, or to a certain extent, the kids, I like to keep their privacy a little bit. But um, if it's something that I would say to a friend, I would say it on here, on there. I think the only thing, I, sometimes I would sort of perhaps, a thing that happens in my life that, that if I want to protect someone's privacy, Okay. You know, names might be changed to protect people. Yeah, sometimes a doodle might happen in which something happens, but the person or the situation it's happening in might not be the exact thing that happened, but it would be an equivalent. Do you see what I mean? It's like 
the thing happened that I want to tell, but not the way or who or where it happened. Mm. So the the doodles themselves are all they're all real. Everything that happens in them happens. That's cool. Just occasionally a slight artistic license is taken to make it clearer what's being said or happened, but nothing is made up. And um, generally speaking, most things are fair game. That's cool. So you <laughs> would, there, you would there doodle. Is, there is one secret. So I'll let oh. you into one secret though, <laughs> okay. is that um, sometimes you get a day when nothing happens. It's just, you have a day that goes, well, that was the most boring day. Nothing happened today. Other days, several things happen. And when things happen during the day, I keep a little note on my phone of a thing that happened. And I go, oh, that happened. And I write it down in case I forget it. Because, you know, I get you forget things when you get to my age. And um, uh, some of those things that happen are not day specific. They're a, they're a thing that happens that could happen on any day. And I keep those in like a little a little bank, if you like. So on a day when nothing happened, I've got this little collection to go to. Oh, I could use that one. So I'm still putting out things that really happened. It just sometimes didn't happen on that day. Oh, that's cool. Because you're right. Like, you're right. I'm looking at your feet. I'm like, man, he's the most interesting guy in the world. (laughs) The thing is, I mean, I would say that probably 95% of them happen on the day they happened, if I'm honest. But the fact is, I do work from home by myself most of the time. So quite a lot of the time, unless my kids have said something funny or something's happened in my brain grief-wise, quite a lot of days, it's just me sitting and drawing. And that's not the most interesting thing. And you, there are days when it's taken me half an hour to think of what to draw and then five minutes to draw it, you know, and it, it's kind of, that's you know, funny. the thinking of it sometimes is harder than the doing. But the thinking of what to draw is very much part of the process. And that's mm. part of analyzing my day and coming to terms with what's happened. And on those days when it's hard to think of something, that in itself is interesting, you know? Yeah, it's true, right? When you look at your life, like, okay, what do I, what happened yeah. today? You look at your life and go, well, that, that day just sort of happened, <laughs> didn't it? You know, <laughs> maybe I should do more, you know? That's funny. Do you ever ask your kids um, what to draw? Like, you ever gave them a choice? No, not really. Although they sometimes will do a thing and say, that'll be a doodle day, won't it, Dad? I say, maybe, maybe, we'll see. Um, They love looking back through the books. They do go back through them quite a lot themselves to look at themselves and to look at mum and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of, because she appears quite regularly still Mm. as a kind of presence because I I sort of feel her, not in a kind of uh, spirity kind of, you know, after the, woo, she's there. But in her her influence is still very much there. and, And I kind of, I um, anthropomorphize that as her being with me in a kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi glowing kind of way, you know. Yeah. Uh, so she does turn up quite often. I do still talk to her, even though I know she can't hear, but I, I do. She was such a powerful, strong woman uh, uh, who who was so much part of, we did everything together. I can hear her voice in my head as to what she would say in certain situations. So that she has to still be a presence in the drawings, really. Yeah. Well, she's in with, she's always with you, you know, like she's changed you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool that your, your kids look through them and I can see, right? Like as a kid, if I was, if I was your kid or whatever, I'd try to do things to try to get in your drawing, you know, like it's like a achievement. Yeah. <laughs> you know? once, once or twice they'll do a thing and they'll almost go, oh, that is almost like to be a doodle. I'm like, yeah. don't, that wasn't don't genuine. For the book. <laughs> <laughs> They probably have like a running total of like who's been exactly. in it the most. Yeah. <laughs> they do that. 
Lily says, oh, Ben's been in more than me. I go, no, I don't think he has, darling. It just feels that way. But if you look back through them, I think you turn up as much as he, you know, it's like... That's funny, you got to equal it out. <laughs> he, he does say funny things. He's a very funny boy. And, you know, a lot of the, the sort of verbal-based ones are often him, where he's said something really funny. Um, he is just one of these kids who comes out with stuff just off the spur of the moment that you go, where did that come from? That's That's got to go in the book, you know. And sometimes they're quite profound and sometimes they're just really sweet and sometimes just really funny, you know. Um, and he, he can do all three. And, and, and so that becomes very important. And, you know, those are the sort of things that seem to be touching a chord with people in terms of, um, you know, who've got children and other parents, other single parents, not necessarily widowed, but people, because a lot of the book is, a lot of the doodles are about single parenting. It doesn't matter why I'm a single parent. Mm. And, and so that's why they resonate with not just widows and widowers, but with single parents or just parents or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's such a unique approach and yeah, I'm glad the world's captivated by it because I think there's a lot of beauty in what you're saying and how you're saying it. So, you know, it's funny, you know, like we don't know like how, almost like like the kind of like what we have inside like for the world until people started saying hey this is amazing <laughs> like you've got something that's helping me i get i get that a lot from people on twitter and it's very gratifying and very humbling people do say the loveliest things i've been very lucky with the um the sort of feedback that i've got you know and and people have even noted that that isn't isn't it lovely to see how positive the the the, the, the responses are to everything and so you know yeah i've been very lucky you know I'm sure at some point I'll get some idiot on there doing something just by the numbers of people that are responding. But I've, I've so far, no, I've been very lucky. And, and overwhelmingly, people have been very sweet and very kind. And, and that's, that's, that gives me faith in human nature as well. You know, it's lovely when I see these comments, I think, wow, okay. And I look at who they are sometimes, you know, you just out of interest, out of curiosity, every now and then when someone follows you, you have a quick look at who they are on their profile, you know. And it's quite extraordinary how many people who, who, are completely ideologically opposed to everything that I stand for or whatever um, as a person who say the loveliest things and you go well, you know what it doesn't matter who you vote for what you believe in whatever at the end of the day people people and most people underneath have a heart have a well it's sometimes hidden and that's one of the things I've actually positives I've taken from this in that there are people who follow me who would not speak to each other if they were in the same room, but they're following me with the same sort of responses. You go, well, that's good. That means underneath we're fundamentally decent. Uh, and let's hope that that starts to sort of come through. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It's got to be amazing, too. Like, if you're having a rough day, you have this, like, almost cheering crowd behind you. I literally have cheerleaders. I mean, people say, we're all cheering you on, Garrett. And it's just like, wow, it is quite something. And from all over the world, you know. Yeah. yeah, you go, Gary, from Chile, you know, and you go, wow, Chile. I mean, gee, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's brilliant. I use Google Translate a lot. I have to use my Translate button a lot. I get so many things in different languages that I have to see what they're saying, you know. Um, it's wow. quite, quite, quite humbling and overwhelming at times, but in a wonderful way. Hmm. Wow. No, I'm, ha I'm so happy to get a chance to talk to you. And so we're just going to uh, go to our last se uh, segment, which is about uh, grief dreams. So have you ever right. had a dream of joy or I know your parents have died yep. of them after they died? I, funny enough, um, I very rarely dream about joy. I mean, to be honest, I've, I've slept very heavily in this last year. I mean, I go to bed very late. I get up very early. I survive on not much sleep. I've always have been a light, you know, not a very sort of big sleeper anyway. 
I, the one thing I've, I have found the bed a very lonely, empty place. Um, I just loved having that breathing next to me, you know, and, and so going to bed has been one of the hard things. And I tend to sort of stay up quite late, which means when I get to bed, I'm really shattered and I'm sleeping like a dead tree. I mean, I, I rarely remember what I dreamt about. Mm. And the dreams I have had, I would say in, in this last year, she's probably cropped up half a dozen times at most. And when she does, it's always just like every business as usual. She's just there being her. There's no sense of she's gone. There's no sense of it being anything other than just there's joy in the dream, just being joy. So is she like making uh, dinner I, or are you guys just like walking around? Yeah, chatting, making dinner, doing whatever. Just, just, just that there in the dream, just being oh. her, you know. And, and that's kind of nice in a way, I think. I wake up and go, oh, she's there in the dream. And it was lovely to see her again. And there was no kind of, you know, thing going on or kind of potentious thing it was just business as usual and i wake up feeling very kind of like oh i saw her again that was nice you know mm -hmm. um yeah. i don't feel sad because i know it was a dream but it yeah. was just nice to see her you know it's, it's, it's kind of i get that um mum and dad turn up funny enough they turn up a lot um in my dreams over the years and um i guess it was last year i can't remember much at all but certainly they used to turn up quite a lot when i could remember my dreams but again, they would turn up as they were back in the day, being them, but they'd be in my life now. So, I mean, they died, oh gosh, uh, dad died in 1989, mum died in 1992. So they've been gone a while. Um, you know, they never met Joy, they never saw the kids, you know, but they turn up in the dream interacting with the people in my life now, but as they were then. Oh, again, no they're always <laughs> just completely matter of fact. It's, they're just there and again I wake up going oh it was mum and dad that's nice so uh, they're quite mundane in my dreams but they're um, they're kind of comforting they're just there as, as them yeah well I think to be able to see them one more time you know like there's something beautiful about that it's that you can't get right like even in your mind's eye you can't even get it it's like there's something beautiful that's about that's right you, can tr you try and remember them and you bring up their memory in your head you can but it's kind of you know you're you're forming it and you're gear you're controlling it and it is what you want it to be and then when they turn up in the dream they're kind of freestyling and, and i love that that you don't know what's going to happen next and, and when you wake up you go oh that was so cool you know there's, there's a tinge of like oh i wish that was real <laughs> but, but you know it wasn't <laughs> but it was still nice to see them yeah and they and they portray in such a way that's i think it's really interesting that the part of your life and it's nothing like there's nothing dreamlike about it right it's like a it's like no. a Right, it's it's not like a regular dream in that way. There's not like elephants flying around. They're not saying you know like saying some weird stuff to you. They're just there. No, like that's right. Being... I mean, I've I've had my fair share of surreal dreams, like we all do. You know, you have those dreams that are just like completely out there. But they never figure in those sort of dreams. Is that mm -hmm. so? Both Joy and my parents, when they do turn up, turn up in the kind of everyday dreams. They're just stuff, just yeah. stuff happening type dreams, and I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it too, and it's very common. I'm curious yeah. about your children. Have you ever asked your children if they uh, dreamt of joy? They say they do sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, Ben is at that age when he says, I had this dream about this, that, and the other, and he goes, did you, or are you just making up a story? <laughs> you know, because he, he he's got a very vivid imagination, and he loves telling stories, and you, you go, now, are you just saying that because you want to have dreamt it, or did you dream it? But yeah. sometimes you can tell by the content that I think that was a real one, whatever, and she does turn up for them from time to time, and when she does it, again, for them, it's both been very positive. Mm -hmm. She turned up in a dream, yeah. and they really liked it, so... 
But again, they don't dream about her heavily. I think they're kind of, I do wonder if you dream it. I mean, I don't know. I am no expert and I'm, I'm talking completely out of, you know, that, um, that I wonder if you dream more about people when perhaps you felt you had unfinished business and they're turning up because you, you need them to. When you've had a kind of, you've come up to peace with the thing, maybe they just don't turn up as often because they don't need to. I don't know. I don't know what tricks your mind plays when you're asleep. So I'm just completely speculating there. Yeah. In, uh, in my own research that I'm doing at Brock, uh, university the uh grief doesn't seem to play an important role in like when they the the amount of frequency it's more dream recall right. so the more you remember dreams in general the more you're picking up these dreams it seems like that's the key is that you know the more you start remembering dreams the more that you're starting remembering these like these dreams come in with the package almost and so right. yeah so it's really interesting about about that so yeah but some people do say like the dream imagery is different when they really need them in a way like if they're really yeah. longing or they're like, you know, what do I do? They can have a dream, almost like an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. And they like, they tell them or give them advice on what to do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's why I love this topic so much. There's so much to learn um, by talking to people. And because everyone's like, I said, like everyone is, will, will grieve probably in some point in their life, but they probably will dream of the people too. Uh, children will also dream of the deceased. And so it's a really interesting topic for me to sort of continue to look at and just to talk about, because that's almost the thing that gets chopped out of a lot of grief conversations. Yeah. So man, so it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on. I want to ask you, so this is our last question. Uh, if, you could okay. have a, if you could have a dream of joy tonight, what dream would you want that to be? Like how, what would that look like to you? Oh man. Um... You know, I would just like to go for a walk in the woods one more time with her, you know, just hand in hand, sun streaming through the trees, walking through the woods, just being together. It'd just be so nice just to be able to do that. I mean, you know, there's lots of things you'd want to do, you want to be, but I think we were at our happiest, most content when, when we were out in nature, just being and I think just to be able to actually do that again would probably be the most glorious dream. Oh, wow. And would you want to hear her laughing in that dream? Always. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And lastly, what do you want her to wear? Do you want her to wear something that special or do you want her to wear what she, what you draw her as in uh, like I her outfit? Just, you yeah. know what? She had a very casual, easy way of, you know, I would just want her to wear the sort of stuff she's always comfortable in, which was um, slightly bohemian, comfortable, you know, jeans and a kind of longish top. She just wore comfortable. She wasn't a sort of girly girl. I mean, she could glam up beautifully. When she when we went out for special meals, she would look like a movie star. But she was just like to be comfortable, really. And because of her height and her sort of natural looks and everything, she could basically wear anything and look good. So I used to love this kind of slightly boho feel that she had, I guess, really. And so, yeah, I just like her wearing her, her comfy stuff. That's nice. Well, see, I'm like envisioning it, and it seems like such a beautiful dream just to have, and just to sort of, it's more like the presence of, of her yeah. as you guys sort of just walk and continue to walk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, so hopefully you uh, you can remember one of the, remember that dream sometime uh, tonight uh, if it happens. 
If it happens, I'll let you know. Oh, please do. And please doodle it if it happens. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? That'd be cool. Yeah, well, it's all about raising awareness, right? And uh, this is why we do the podcast. <laughs> so, so uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. I got to say that I don't, I don't know Joy, but with your love that you have for her and how you doodle her, she just seems such like a beautiful person that, you know, I know the world misses um and i know how much like so you miss her too and i feel so sad that she's gone um but i'm glad that your kids are there almost embodying her and, and giving more joy to you and in the world and in her in her mm -hmm. honor almost amazing amazing yeah. thank you so much that's really lovely and the other thing i want to thank you for is being a great spokesman for grief awareness even though you never chose that role it kind of just like happened you do an amazing job and so keep it up um i gotta say like it's not something you know, some people get like, I want to do this. It just happened to you. And you're a great spokesman for that. So keep doing it up because I know you're helping a lot of people. And you're yeah, helping very me. Kind. Thank you very much. That's really kind of you. So uh, if people want to follow this, uh, <clears throat> this, all this stuff, what's going on, where can people find you? And can you, you tell your social you media? Find me, uh, the best place to follow, and you can find me, follow me on Twitter. It's at Gary Scribbler. It's also Gary Scribbler on Instagram as well. Those are probably the best places. I, I do post on Facebook as well, but to be honest, it's the same picture. And you're probably better off following on either Twitter or Instagram. And both of those is Gary Scribbler. All right. Beautiful. So, guys, check it out. I'm going to post that stuff in the show notes also. And I'll post that video that you made for uh, CBC One also in the show notes. Mm, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful video. And to, to just wrap up with our stuff, uh, you can check us out at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. And if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group and you can share all your grief dreams that you had or comment on others. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. And we have a children's book that's on Amazon um, called Dreaming of Owl that I wrote um, with uh, Deborah Stapleford, all about you know talking about these dreams with children. And uh, once again, as we like to say, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.